Matthew chapter 6, there's so much to read, and there's so many correlating verses. I thought it might be okay to, and I'm, I'm, I'd like to read, I think maybe from uh, the NIV. But, so maybe if you could help me uh, with the NIV, and, but it, this is just a little bit further explanation, and it covers a few things. So Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 1. I'll give them a moment just in case. There we go. Are you ready? Here we go. This is Jesus talking. So if you have a Bible that, that has red letters, just rub your hand across those red letters. They're just wonderful. Jesus spoke, obviously, in red letters. Uh, not really. Uh, in fact, the same writers who wrote the red letters wrote the black letters. But when they wrote, they didn't have different color ink. But there are a few folks in this world who love the red letters. So if you are one of those color-coordinated people, then pay close attention. Here's what the Lord said. Be careful. Not to do your acts of righteousness before men. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Let's do that again. He didn't say not to practice or not to do acts of righteousness or not to do what's right. He just said... There's a way to do it. There's a way to do it. Now I'm, I'm always at this edge and from time to time I step over. And I'm not here to show my age. Don't let this gray hair fool you. I'm much younger than you might assume. I don't really know how old Tammy is. She, I've figured this out, but she keeps telling me her age. It's been that way for a long time. And I know that I'm just a handful of years older than her, so I've accepted her number because it helps me. So I got I to gotta cross this line. And kind of get into this, this conflict that's messing up a lot of people. And we've got to get back to the reverence of the Lord. And we've got to get back to this thought that it's all about Jesus. I just, you have to stay with me now. I want to preach this word. Not is the first part of nothing. Now you can help me by turning to your neighbor and just telling them. And you could poke them even and say, you know, it's not about you. Uh-oh. 
<laughs> I've already started several fights here. It got chaotic. All right. I don't think we did that well enough. Turn to someone else and t- turn to someone else and say, and it's not about you either. It's a ruckus. <laughs> All right, that's enough. That's enough. No punching. Everybody said amen. All right, you may be seated. There are a few places that if it were possible, you might want to be mentioned by name. There are a few places. Um, It is nice when you're invited somewhere that they have your name. If there's a guest list and you're on it, they don't have to recognize your face as long as you can prove that your name is on the list. It's disconcerting when your name isn't on the list. The most important place is the Lamb's Book of Life. There's any place you want your name written, It's in the Lamb's book of life. Paul will whisper the words in closing as he sends greetings to fellow laborers in Philippi. He's writing, Egoists and Syntyche, odd names, Clement. And then he said, fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. All of those men. John the Revelator closes the revelation by speaking of the nations which are saved and those who walk in the light. He talks of those that shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into the heavenly home. Then he says, and I quote, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life, if there is a place. For your name to be found, that, ladies and gentlemen, is the place. There isn't another listing or registry that shall ever rise above the pages of that book. Now the Bible gives us locations to pursue that invariably lead to the final book and the pages so described. Men and women are listed as people of faith. Those who found their place trusting God in a myriad of situations. There are several people mentioned in the great hall. The Bible will call them out in succinct form in Hebrews chapter 11, which is often called, the Bible didn't call it, but we often call it the hall of faith. It's like the who's who of people of great faith. 
And there are several mentioned in that hall. The the wrap-up verse, after he gets done, the wrap-up verse is verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also, of Samuel the prophet, so many. They all did such incredible exploits. The hall begins with the great man of faith. The Bible's clearest definition of faith. And the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and that it delves into all those who obtained a good report. Abel, the second son of Adam, made a sacrifice of blood when there was no reference of a sacrifice of blood ever made. God's command lay in his hands and Abel offered a sacrifice of blood. We have no reference of anyone making that kind of sacrifice before Abel. There's no reference of Adam doing this. We could assume, but I'm hesitant to assume a thing the Bible does not declare. Abel kicked off an entire biblical narrative that did not have a reason until Leviticus told us that the life of the body is in the blood. He offered a sacrifice through obedience with no apparent example to follow. And indirectly, his sacrifice will cost him his life. The hall of faith begins with a sacrifice of blood. Noah, in that same chapter, was warned of things not seen. He built an ark in a culture that did not believe in God. He was the only one who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He defied his entire community and built something that had no precedent. No one had ever seen, no one had ever known of a flood or a reason to prepare for one. But Noah was moved, the Bible says, moved by fear and saved his family and began the repopulation of the entire world. <laughs> Abraham sojourned. He forsook his family, trusted God. He, he gave up his family's entire inheritance, which would have been his. And he journeyed to a place where God told him to go. Had no idea where he was going. The Bible says it was a credit to him for righteousness. And then Abraham offered up his son Isaac on an altar of stone. Here's the Bible. Accounting that God was able to raise him up if he killed him. Even from the dead. From whence also he received him in a figure. It was kind of like he did. Figuratively Abraham did receive him back from the dead. Because his intent was to obey God. And his wife, Sarah, think of this, received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised she was 90 years old when she had a baby. She judged God faithfully. I say today, it matters how you judge God. You judge him good But do you judge him faithful? Faithful enough to keep his promise when your physical strength says no and you're past the point of reason or ability? Are you still judging God faithful? Now, Jenny Scott got up here and started messing with my sermon. And I had to yell over to her, get off my stuff. I don't know if she heard me. Because God will make you a promise. But often we think that promise is going to come about right now. Do you judge him faithful to hold on to the promise when you cannot see his hand? And how long are you going to wait for the promise of God to be fulfilled in your life? 
I will tell you, some of his promises take a lot longer than your natural inclination of patience is allotted for you. You're going to run out of patience before God runs out of time. And when you're done with your patience, now you're going to have to tap into faithfulness and trust in God. You're going to exhaust all of your natural abilities until finally you're empty and you've got to say, I don't have any answer, God. I'm just going to trust you. I believe I'm judging you to be faithful. I can't see it. I don't even know what's going to happen. I'm past the point of my ability. I don't have the strength in my body, but I know you are faithful. It's over. I know it's over. The doctor says it's over. My friends say it's over. The nature says it's over, but you are faithful, God. It's easy. When the promise is fulfilled in record time, it's a little bit harder when he waits. See, the hall of faith, it's not made of people who are just normal. They are, they are a painting and a portrait of, of phenoms, of the incredible people. The hall, if you walk down, it has a picture of Jacob. It says of Jacob that he, think of this, he died worshiping, leaning on his staff. Man, if you're going to die, die dancing. If you're going to die, die praising God. If you're going to die, die speaking in tongues. Come on now, folks, haven't you ever thought, man, what if I, what if I knew I was going to die? What, what's the first thing you're going to say? Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Am I the only one? Cars going off the cliff. What, what are you going to say? Yeah, after Jesus, what are you going to say? Forgive me, Jesus. What are you going to say? Tell my dog. Uh-huh. The checkbook's in the middle drawer. is hidden. No, you're going to say, let my heart be right, God. Let my heart be right. Hear me. If you're going to die, and you're going to die, you might as well go down praising God. You might as well go down worshiping. You're going to die. You might as well go down worshiping. And since nobody knows when they're going to die, you might as well worship all the time. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast of the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Amen. I hope the nurses say, I don't know what that guy was saying, but he was gibbering some kind of foreign language. And then, poof, he just gone. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's Jacob. Moses was found here. His epitaph is that he would rather suffer with God's people than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And Moses has gotten a lot of free press because he had to believe in greater riches in the future than the present treasures in Egypt. It's not easy to do. To forsake all the wealth of the world And pursue a bunch of people who are in bondage. Moses, the Bible says, kept the Passover by faith. He sprinkled the blood by faith. He passed through the Red Sea by faith. Try that out. 
It's all there in the hall. He looked back to see the Egyptians drown when they tried to cross the Red Sea. He did all that by faith. So many people, so few verses. And the writer just says, what more shall I say? Rahab, the harlot, she got a shout out because she risked her life to hide spies of Joshua to save, to save them. And in saving them, she saved, the Bible says she saved her house. Had the king of Jericho found those men, Rahab would have surely died. But she perished not with them that believed not, the Bible says. Can you believe it? All of them and more have their names and images painted into the great hall for the centuries of time to be explored and preached about. And all of them that I just mentioned have been preached by a million preachers over. The common folklore, the song lyrics host their names. Their stories are told and repeated. Midnight campfires and camp meetings and revivals and Sunday mornings and evenings have heard their names and they are the examples of the world to follow all biblical precedent rides on these powerful patriarchs and the apostles all of those people preachers and prophets have all talked about their deeds and their actions their great moments of faith all of them did something notable all of them acted against the norm their uniqueness among the masses could be that they stood against the unknown and believed God when they had no reason to believe God. But of course, there's one story that has a different line. It's a different man. He didn't move from a place of comfort to a place of unknown or foreign land. He he didn't just trust God to believe the impossible. He, he didn't subdue kingdoms. He didn't stop the mouths of the lions or go through torture or trial by false accusations or cruel mockings. He didn't do all of that. In fact, his entry into the hall of faith and in the pages of the Bible is the most basic and simple of them all. His life will end in a most unusual fashion because he's the man who didn't die. All of his relatives died and his nearest descendants passed away. But the Genesis says of him, and I quote, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That's it. That Older Testament will offer nothing but a handful of placements in lineage for Enoch. But just because the Old Testament is silent about the walk of Enoch, it doesn't mean that people didn't know. They knew. People knew. They spoke of him. They quoted him. They recited his words of wisdom and prophetic speech. You just can't find it in the Old Testament. And when you finally come to see Enoch as more than just another piece in a puzzle of someone's lineage, then you have to land in the hall of faith. It's Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5. And it says, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was committed as one who pleased God. But that's not even much more than what we learned in the book of Genesis. Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. His walk must have been so profound that there was nothing to view of him. Think of with me now. You see, to the old scholars... Enoch was mostly hidden. They would write that Enoch was not. <laughs> oh, man. And then because he was not, he was not. 
Let me say that again. Because he was not, he was not. I know it sounds a little redundant, but the rabbis declared that Enoch's walk with God hid him. His walk was so deep that as a man, he could not be found. Enoch's claim to fame was that he could not be found. Enoch pleased God so much, his walk was so close to God that he was not. And because he was not, he was not. I know you came to church to hear that. The Hebrew scholars might call it circular reasoning. You are not when you are not. I'll help you. In contrast to that, the more you are, the less you please God. Uh Uh-oh. Now we're in trouble. And here lies the fallacy of gain, of excess, and of pleasure. It's individualism that confronts the holiness of God. To think that because you exist, that you're capable all by yourself, is to not really walk with God. The flamboyant person makes themselves known. They are not hidden, but rather they willingly share themselves in extremes in all forms, shapes, and models. They say that they have no need because they are sufficient and they like everybody to know who they are. Oh, no. Okay. See, see, Stay with me. See, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you think about him, the more you see him. The more you love him, the more you want to serve him, the more you see and find your own weaknesses, the more you become hidden in Christ. You live, but you don't really live. You live the life through faith because you're in him. The existence you have is all because of him. Everything that you do is found in him. And of the many problems we we bring on ourselves, one of the greatest is our pursuit of self-sufficiency and to be known. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, because you say you're rich and you're good with you have all the goods and you have need of nothing, you know you don't know really where you are. You think that you are self-sufficient, but you don't really know that you're wretched and you're miserable and you're poor, you're blind and you're naked. You see, material things won't save you or make you sufficient. God, ladies and gentlemen, is not impressed by the flamboyance of your flesh. But when you walk with God, you realize your own ineptness. And the more you are, the less of God you have in you. But we've created somehow a culture, a Christian culture, that is desperate to be seen. When you walk with God, you begin to lose yourself. Even Jesus promoted it. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever loses his life for myself shall find it. For what is a man profited if he'll gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus was promoting losing yourself. Enoch was not because he was not. And the more you walk with God, the more you think you, you think like God, the more you see things like God. In fact, you can even see ahead of time spiritual gifts and revelations unfold as you walk with him. God can trust you. You are not when you're walking with him. Watch it now. See, compared to his father and his son, Enoch has a limited lifespan. They lived a lot longer than him. He's caught up somewhere in the middle. God took him. There's no record of him dying. In fact, there's no record of him doing anything in the Old Testament until we get to the New Testament. 
And finally, in the New Testament, the Hall of Faith will include him, but it doesn't give us any more than that single sentence that we already found in Genesis 5. We have to wait until the half-brother of Jesus, Jude, puts pen to parchment. Jude, the half-brother. And then consider the one-chapter book that Jude writes. See, he grew up with Jesus. He grew up watching and listening and following the Christ, the incarnate God. And Jude will write about things that no other writer will even touch. Jude not only speaks against fornication, he exposes gossipers and he casts them in the same boat of those who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Jude said in verse 8, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak of dignities. Jude talks about the archangel Michael. And the dispute with Lucifer over the body of Jesus. Think of it. How did he know that? Jude has knowledge of things that could have only come from this incarnate God who was Jesus, his half-brother. That's it. Jude recalls the way of Cain, the prophet or money grab of Balaam, and the destruction of Korah. And then Jude gives us the only thing Enoch is ever recorded saying, it came from Jude, and I quote it. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. When is that going to happen? To execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch walked with God so closely that he could see the very last day of time. Let me just preach to you a little bit about being hid in Jesus Christ. See, when you become hidden in him, you see things other people can't see. When you become hidden in the Lord, you understand the way of the world and the purpose of the church. But the more shallow you walk, the less likely you're going to comprehend spiritual matters. Let me say it again. Enoch was not because he was not. Mm -hmm. So I, I wish that this battle only revolved around spiritual darkness. Paul wrote, you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord? Walk as children of light. Paul said, light reproves the darkness. All things are approved and made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. I wish it was all about spiritual darkness. And I wish it was all about fighting the forces of the world. But John wrote, by this we know that we love love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And as much as I might want to blame the devil, it won't be the devil that causes me or you to fail. He can implant thoughts and doubt and fear in my mind, but I can take up the whole armor of God and withstand him. You need the word, the sword, the spirit to do battle with the father of lies. Yes, I know that. But your greatest foe is not the world and it's not the devil. The devil is limited in scope and he's restrained in power. He has no authority over your mind and he cannot get past the blood of Jesus. If he ever puts a thought in your mind, just call it out right now. I plead the blood, cover my thoughts with the blood of Jesus. And I preach to believers who take the easy way out by blaming the devil or some demonic spirit about the problems they're experiencing. Satan probably gets more credit than he deserves. The problem is not the world. It's not the devil. It's too much of me and not enough of him. 
In fact, if you want to know the downfall of Lucifer, then look no further than the day that he tried to exalt himself and lift himself up and think that it was all about him. He said, I will ascend. He wanted to be more. It was the exact opposite of Enoch who wanted to be hidden. Enoch walked with God and was not. And not, ladies and gentlemen, is the first part of nothing. You won't be not if you think you are something. You can't be nothing if you think you're something. And I met a lot of people who thought they were something. I want to talk to you about the something crowd. (laughs) I'm kind of put out with the something crowd. Always walking around acting like they got it all together, thinking that they never sinned and never had a trouble. Always looking down at everybody else, saying, you know, I don't have to do that. I'm not part of that. You know, listen, that's for those other people. And they look down at the people, call them little people, and then they post and picture themselves all over the internet to show everybody how good they are. But Jesus said, when you do acts of righteousness, don't tell anybody. Because if you tell someone and they pat you on the back, that's the reward you get. Man, you cut yourself short. You mean instead of getting jewels, crown, millions, whatever, millions of dollars, you got a coupon to the first walk? You're happy about a coupon? I like the first walk, but that's what you got? You got, man, I'm so proud of you. And then someone walks away because you posted all your supposed goodness somewhere. You let everybody be known. I wonder, when, when is going to come time when we be hidden in, in this world and we walk with God? Because when you're not, you're not. But when you think you are, you're nothing. But you think you're something. You think you got it all together, but you're real cold, you're blind, you're naked, you're inept. Uh-huh. Now, I know I see I'm, I'm stepping over this little conflict because we all like to be known for something. I'll tell you, you're an epistle read of all men, but you ought to be hidden in Jesus Christ. And when people look at you, they ought to say, now there is somebody who believes in the Lord. I can't remember the name, but I know they got love. See, what I know is that new life is just a conglomerate of people. We're a corporate body, but we're made up of individuals. So let me talk to the individuals here. It's better to be hidden than to be known. Because if you're known, you're hurting the image of Jesus Christ. Nobody can see him because all your pictures are of you. And the crowd goes crazy. People go wild. People are talking now. I thought we are somebody. You are in Jesus Christ. But outside of him, you, you got to confess, I'm a vagabond. I'm undone. You got to get to the point that David got to when he said, oh, wretched man am I. Who will deliver me from this body? Who's going to help me? Enoch barely graces the pages of the Bible and nobody preaches about him. Because he's got a simple, single, one line. 
that's it. You can't even build a sermon. You can't even build a five-minute testimony about them. In fact, I've been in church all my life. And we used to have testimony service in the church. Uh-huh. Man, we had testimony service. And that, if you don't know this, that's where people had an open floor. And we would say, who would like to testify? Some of you have never seen this. Thank God. There's things that you've never experienced that you should just be praising God for right now. This is an open floor where people would stand up and share whatever unfiltered they wanted to share. They would talk about whatever was on their heart. Now, rarely did they ever give God praise. At the end of whatever they said, they thought that if, if they just said, and I just want to praise the Lord, as if that wiped out all the nonsense they just talked about for the last five minutes. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you wanted to know everybody's business back then, you didn't have to go to the internet. You just came to testimony service. In fact, I tried to write down some of the things that I remembered. Half of them I can't even speak right now in public. There's a portion of them if I did say I'd get in trouble. And the other portion is... They might be watching me right now. I don't know. I do remember someone standing up and saying, one sister saying about another sister, how much she hurt her feelings, but she forgives him. I forgive you. It got very tense. I remember a man standing up and telling us that he had a problem cussing. He didn't do it right then, thank God. But I know another woman who did cuss, and she did during the testimony, and her first part was, thank God I've never failed the Lord. And to prove how much she had never failed the Lord, she inserted a nice bad word there. Realized what she said and sat down. Blew that testimony. even have internet and I found out as a little boy people want to tell all their business mm-hmm. and when they're telling all their business come to find out everybody wanted to know their business I distinctly remember sitting next to my best friend saying man I hope that lady stands up tonight there she goes, there she goes, Ooh, listen close. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. My father said one time, my father was a pastor, pastor all my life, and my father said, no, we don't have a lot of time, but I just want you to stand up and say something good about the Lord. And that was the worst thing he could have ever said, because the lady stood up and said, it all started in 1964. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. You, you folks have been saved. Because someone in this crowd has a need to be known. And we've got to be hidden in Jesus Christ. 
And the problem with that is our nature is not to be hidden. It's to be known. Because we like the praises of men. And we want someone to feel good about us. I want to tell you right now, if you could ever ask God for anything, ask God, Lord, let me please you, Lord. If I'm not pleasing anybody else, I want to please you. If nobody else likes me, but you approve of me. I want to tell you a little story about Peter and John. When they came before the Sanhedrin council, hear the pastor now. They came before the Sanhedrin council. And the Sanhedrin council full of Pharisees said, you can no longer do this. You can't preach anymore in that name. You can't. You can't can't do all this you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and they replied is it better for us to please men or to please God make the judgment I stand here tonight to say to somebody it's better for you to be hidden from everyone and just do your acts of righteousness before the Lord you got a crowd you got a treasure it's waiting for you watch John the Baptist now because he's preaching a sermon about a proportionate God. John the Baptist is in the wilderness and he submits or introduces a proportionate God. God comes in proportions to you. To every other creature. He has no competition. But when it comes to you, you are the greatest competition God ever made. In fact, oh. You can dwarf God. You can limit him and make him small. Now, of course, you'll never make him small, but no one will ever see him because it's all about you. Isn't that how the song goes? It's all about me. No, I think it's all about you, not me. But we sing it differently because we think it's all about us. It's all about if we're comfortable and if we like that song. And we're going to wait for the next one. That's when we're going to clap. It's, it's, it's all about where we get. Do you know that there are some people who are not in this building tonight because they know they're never going to preach in this pulpit? So they went to another church so that they could preach in a pulpit because it's all about them. You know, I've had people walk in here and say, boy, I really like this, but I see that you already have a piano player. I play the piano. I probably won't ever get a chance to play the piano. Yep, you won't. I, I promise you right now, you're not going to. <laughs> I was here one week, 1999. I was here one week. I won't call his name. I pray for him, but it's a name that I'll never forget. I'll never forget his name. Yeah, I'll say his first name. How about I give you the initials? I want, I want to say his name. I'm not going to. And he said to me, he got one of my early CDs, you know. I don't know why he made all those. He got one, and he was listening to that, and he said, well, well, preacher, I play the guitar. And I heard your music, and I know I'm never going to be able to play my guitar in this church. I'm leaving. Man, I'd only been there one day. He was angry, but he was right. <laughs> he was right. He was right on the money. He was perceptive because it's not about what you do to showcase who you think you are. It's all about him. Hey, 
it's all about him. If it's not about him and it's about you, you get nothing done and he gets small. John the Baptist introduced that proportionate God when he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. God will only be as much as you are not. And not is the first part of nothing. And when you become nothing, he becomes everything. And I'm just going to tell you right now, you ain't got enough money in your bank account. You don't have enough resources. You don't have enough learning. You don't have much. You don't have enough education. You don't have enough things in your life. You don't have enough fix-it to solve the problems that you are up against. If you become nothing, he becomes everything. But when you think yourself something, when you are nothing, the Bible says you deceive yourself. Let me tell you the worst kind of deception. It's self-deception. When someone else deceives you, I truly believe this, you can be let out. But when you deceive yourself, it's very difficult to climb out of that mess. Because you believe something that's not true. And I want to stand here and tell you, if he's going to get greater, you got to be less than. If he's going to rise, you got to fall. If he's going to increase, you've got to decrease because he's a proportionate God. Individualism is killing the church. Uh-huh. And the moment you preface your worship style by saying, you know, I just, I, I just don't do that. Really? You don't do that? Who are you doing it for? You know, I just don't like to show myself. Who are you showing yourself for? What did you come to church for? What are you worshiping God for? Is it so that other people will be pleased? When you dance before the Lord or jump up and down or praise God, the Bible says that the, that the lame man went into the temple walking and leaping and praising God. David said, dance before the Lord. He didn't say how we should dance, just dance. You know, there's a Pentecostal style dancing. You learn that after a while. There's only one style. You can get down. <laughs> I've seen people do it. Kind of messes up everybody else, you know. I won't show you those moves right now, but I know them. And once again, I'm, ref- I'm, I'm constraining myself because Tammy's over there sitting down watching me. <laughs> Thank God she wasn't sick tonight. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So well, why aren't you worshiping? Because, you know, I just don't, I just don't do that. Why? Well, what, what don't you do? who, who are you not doing it for? Well, what, what are you saving yourself for? You come to church to praise God, I just don't lift my hands. You ought to be lifting your hands and thanking God every day. What are you talking about? You don't cry out to God. I know you cry out to God. You're waiting for trouble to hit your home before you cry out to God. Why are you waiting until you're in the mess, in the pit, in the mire before you cry out to God? You ought to be crying out to God and saying, Thank you, Lord, I love you. You're the greatest. You're an awesome God. I'll tell you what the Bible said. They all looked at him and they tried to shut him down. And the Bible says, he that hath been forgiven much, he is more grateful than everybody else because he knows where he came from. But hold on a second. The something crowd, the something crowd thinks that they were born saved. 
Here's a little bit of grieving my spirit. Well, pastor, I was raised in the church. Yeah. I was too. That's why I had to be saved. <laughs> I was too. That's why I had to repent because I was raised in the church. <laughs> you don't think you can be a devil growing up in the church? Oh, yes, you can. Look at my brother. <laughs> okay, just a joke. Just a joke. Scotty, I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> he wasn't that bad. He just taught me all the bad stuff. I'll tell you, let me tell you about the something crowd. The something crowd thinks that they're above all the other people. The something crowd, most of the time, the something crowd, they don't have outward addictions. They just have inward bitterness. <laughs> the something crowd, they're not bound by, by substance abuse. They're bound by Judgmentalism, superiority, grudges, and gossip, which they, of course, pass off as just a prayer request. I'm only telling you this so we can pray. Now, mind you, there's never a prayer at the end of the conversation. I want to tell you this because... I have a burden for someone. By the time they get done sharing their burden, you know they're not in the nothing crowd, they're in the something crowd. That wasn't a burden. See, not until you become not, you're going to be known. And the danger is for you to become known. So I just want to step over into this little world that's now consuming every demographic in the United States. And they say over 70% of the world's population. It's our ability to become known. We can become known. Not for the cause of Christ. Not for the sake of the gospel but to showcase ourselves through some social form. We can be known. And the more known you become, the more dangerous dangerous it is for your life. I would say to everybody, get out of the something crowd. They're going down. All they got are coupons and get into the nothing crowd and start walking with God. And when you walk with God, people may not know your name. But you won't be not unless you're in that crowd. Father, my life is in you. My life is in your hands, Lord. My thoughts are in you. My thoughts are about you. In the morning, I'm going to think about you. In the noonday, I want to talk about you. When the sun goes down in the evening and I give my evening sacrifice, it's not going to be about me. It's going to be about you. I'm preaching to somebody here. He will only be as much as you are not. 
Now point to yourself. Now put yourself, put your hand on your own self and say, it's not about me. Oh, it's hard. That's hard for some of us. That's hard. That's hard for some of us. It's not about me. I'm almost done. Every once in a while I stumble upon writings of pastors as they muse about their own leadership. They consider and reconsider. I love to read those transparent men. that They'll tell you about what the Lord has done, but also about their struggles. I read of a pastor. He just wrote this in his blog. He said, I wanted to use some other people in the church. Some of my close friends called them the B team. They warned me not to use the B team because they weren't as good teachers as the A team. He said, but I I didn't care. He said, I wanted to create kingdom leaders. This is the word he used. I wanted to create kingdom leaders. And he said, "If if I only used all those people that everyone was comfortable with, no one would ever get a chance to speak and I would never develop kingdom leaders. And he said, we decided to put another group of singers even on the platform. And he said, some folks found out when the B team was going to sing and they didn't come to church. He said, it took me a whole year to get people back in the pew. So we stopped telling them what team was singing. He said, everyone in those A brackets came to me and said, Pastor, you you need to stop doing that. People don't want to hear those people. Crowds won't come. He said, in the second year, we stayed stagnant. We We only lost one person in the second year, but we didn't grow at all. And then he wrote, most people now would think that the testimony opened up and a mass of people came. He said, but it never happened. We really didn't have an explosion of membership. But he said, I'll tell you what we did have. We had depth. We had humility. And now people figured it out. We're coming here because of Jesus, not by personality. Crowds are attracted to talent. But when they're attracted to talent, Jesus cannot be found. Because talent is an increase. I say tonight, is the Lord the Lord of this house? Is God the God of your life? Is it about you? Is all this about us? I preach against that tonight. I preach against that spirit that would invade my own thinking and my own life. I pray right now in the name of Jesus against all those spirits that would rise up 
to cast a judgment about what this house is about. It's about the Lord. It's about the Lord. And you ought to help me right now and just say, Lord, it's about you. This is about you. This is about you. It's not about me. It's not about my talent and my gifting. It's not about who I am. It's not about my image. It's not about what I always think. I don't always have to be right. I don't always have to be proven right. I don't always have to be good. I don't want to be showcased. I want to showcase you, Lord. I want the cross of Calvary to be seen, Lord. Oh, Lord, be lifted up in this house. Be lifted up in this house, Lord. Not for any other motive, Lord, but just because you're the king of glory. You're the Lord of this tabernacle. Please stand with me. And when you stand, I want you to bend your head downward. I want you to put your shoulders downward. I want you to stand in reference to the King of Glory. I want you to reference Him with me. Lord, I love you. I worship you. I bow before you. You are a holy God. And we're on holy ground. I'm nothing without you, Lord. I'm nothing without you, Lord. I'm nothing without you. I'm happy to be nothing without you, Lord. Because if I was something, you would not be able to be Lord of my life. I feel you here, Lord. I feel you here, Lord. I feel your spirit, your presence here, Lord. I'm just giving you five minutes to respond to the Lord, and then I'm going to let everyone go home. Just five minutes, and that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to dismiss this whole crowd. Whatever you want to do right now, this is about the Lord. Forget about everybody else. It's about you and Jesus. If you want to abandon your pew and come to this altar, this is a great place to come and just and just express yourself before him and say, Lord, this is about you. This is about your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Thy will. Thy will. Not, not mine. Not mine. But you. You, O oh Lord. You, O oh God. Thou art Lord. Thou art God. Ah.